1: This is where scientists,
0: philosophers, new agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of
1: the collapse of materialism, Philip Camella.
0: Now, as Yogi Berra once said, a catcher for the the New York Yankees, predictions are very difficult, particularly about the future. But predictions of the future have long fascinated the human intellect from the earliest biblical prophecies to stock market pronosticators astrologers sports pundits and bookies everybody wants to know what's going to happen in the future on that note we have to remember that science itself is based upon predicting the future this this goes along the line of understanding the laws of nature the movement of particles, and if those laws and motions are understood, then the theory is that somebody can extrapolate the the laws out to the future and predict how things are going to happen in another age. Simon Laplace, the famous French scientist, famously said something along the, the lines of if an evil demon knew about all the motions of particles and laws in the universe, then perhaps at some point we can understand the future. And and leaving aside what quantum theory did to Simon Laplace and his prediction of particles in motion, we have to remember that predictions are part not only of spirituality, but they're also part of science. Now on the spiritual front, the most famous of prophets outside of the Bible is probably the, 9th, the 16th century seer Nostradamus, uh, who, depending on who you read, is either one of the great prophets of all time or perhaps um, simply an obscure poet who modern-day supporters have turned into a prophet. But Nostradamus has left uh, material that cannot be ignored and continues to fascinate us up to the present day one of the leaders in the modern world of interpreting nostradamus and bringing his messages and his prophets to the public is my guest today mariel reading now mariel is um, out of the uk he was born in Dosset. he was brought up in england germany and the south of france he's the author of six novels uh, one trilogy of which on the Antichrist Nostradamus uh, trilogy has been published in 38 countries with combined sales of over 1 million copies. He's also the author of eight non-fiction titles including his newest book, Nostradamus, The Complete Prophecies for the Future. He's made a number of National international appearances, not only on radio but also on television, and most notably the Discovery Channel's uh, 2006 documentary Nostradamus: The Truth. And he was also featured on a recent documentary on Nostradamus and other prophets on the History Channel uh, that was that aired earlier this year. And last but not least, uh, he was also recently voted by Watkins Magazine when the top 100 living spiritual masters so today we're going to have ourselves quite a conversation about nostradamus and what he tells us about our our world today and about the future mariel thanks for joining us
1: great to be here for now.
0: well i think that you know this topic of prophets uh... is got it has to be one of the most controversial there there is because the the skeptical crowd uh, probably does probably outweighs the believers but we're gonna get into this a little bit because let's face it every field that bucks the trend also has uh, its its own number of skeptics but let's let's start here with some basic background issues which is how did you become interested in Nostradamus?
1: Well I was born In uh, Dorset, as I said, but when I was about seven years old, we moved to the south of France, to Provence, which is, of course, where Nostradamus came from. And uh, so from a very early age, I'd heard about this extraordinary seer, Nostradamus, who was born just down the road from me, really, in Saint-Rémy-de-Provence in 1503. And uh, it became a fascination for me. I, I read about him when I was younger. And then I was approached one day uh, by someone who had been commissioned to write a book on Nostradamus, as he knew that I could translate from the old French. And uh, the author asked me if I could do some translations for him, which he was finding difficult. And I got the taste for it. Um, And a friend of mine who was a publisher at the time said, well, why don't you do your own book on Nostradamus? And I said, I'd very much like to do that. And that was how the first edition of Nostradamus, the complete prophecies for the future, came out um, uh, back in 2006. Um, uh, that was a direct result of of that, but it stems from my childhood and my childhood interest in Nostradamus very early on.
0: Now, do you think there's something here about when you, whenever you grow up uh, in an area of somebody uh, of a noteworthy, famous person, particularly somebody like a Nostradamus? Do you think that the culture that you were raised in uh, had had something to do with uh, a more open-minded approach to Nostradamus?
1: I'm sure it did yeah. because I grew up, I spent all my holidays in the south of France, I yeah. went to school in England, yeah. and you have the, the sense of the heat, the smell of the country, um, the sound of the language, the sound of the particular accent, so yes, very certainly, that would have had a a great uh, um, importance in my um, in, in my tending towards Nostradamus. Yes, it would.
0: Yeah. Well, I think there's you know there's something there about about open mindedness that comes into play. You know, any time that you're dealing with a with with a topic that is uh, outside the mainstream, and of course, there's different mainstreams in different parts of the world. Um, you know, I'm sure that you've read plenty of people, for example, who are skeptical on astrology. And Nostradam- Nostradamus, he, to what degree was was he really an an astrologist?
1: Well, he was also an astrologer okay. because every year, from about uh, 1550, he brought out his almanacs, which yeah. were very specifically astrologically inclined. Right. Uh, and his almanacs were what first made him famous. Um, uh, but they were the almanacs for that year. Right. There were almanacs and calendars. Um, it was really only when he brought out the prophecies in 1555, the first uh, a bunch of prophecies, uh, that he became internationally famous. But yes, you, you mentioned open-mindedness, and I agree with you completely there. I'm by nature a comparativist. Right. I studied comparative literature at, at uh, university, and my feeling is that I will give everything a go before i I trash it right uh, it's very easy to trash something like Nostradamus, um especially if you don't understand the language in which he wrote and the background from which he wrote
0: you you know there and there's something I think in all of us, as I alluded to in the beginning, that wants prophets to be real there's something and I don't know whether it's just sort of the the romantic side of it or whether. It, it it tells us that we live in a richer world than meets the eyes and i don't know whether have have you ever encountered this particular phenomenon uh where you know there's people that want astrology to be real there's people that want nostradamus to be telling us about the future world just like there's people who want the biblical prophets to be telling the truth i mean what, what do you attribute this to the the the, the i mean you have sold a lot of books on Nostradamus. What do you, what do you think is dr- drives that interest?
1: Well, we all want certainty. Yeah. All of us are mortal, but we don't know when our mortality is going to hit home. Right. Um, secretly, we'd quite like to know. Um, the reality is, of course, that no one should know because they, their lives would be destroyed. I, during my lifetime, have suffered from two terminal cancers. I have one now. I, mm. I was also... Terminal back in 1992. I had a month to live. Um, I, in a way, knew that I was going to die then. And then what happens? I don't die. Um, I end up living for another 20 odd years. Um, Yes, we want certainty, but can we live with it? I'm not sure we can. But I can understand the drive to want it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, it's sort of like we want to um, To live this how, this free life, but on the other hand, we really want to know what tomorrow will bring as well. And it's it's this you know we're you know we're living in this in this tension here. But with regard to Nostradamus, how is your method of interpreting his quatrains his his phrasing how How is your method different than others? Because there's been you know. Uh, you know better than anybody that there's quite a few people who have uh, tried their hand at interpreting Nostradamus. What makes your method different?
1: Well, I'm the only person ever in history who's used Nostradamus' own index dates. Um, I felt right at the beginning that it was crazy simply to translate Nostradamus's quatrains and then to try and choose somewhere at random out of the whole of human history to link with that quatrain. It occurred to me that he wrote 10 centuries of 100 quatrains each apart from one century of 42 um, that are all index dated quite categorically one to 100. And I decided to try and see if Nostradamus' index dates were significant or not. And I soon found that they were. I mean you look at a quatrain like uh, uh, the famous quatrain uh, 949, index dated 49, which says the London Parliament will put their king to death. Well, um, no Parliament had put their king to death before that situation. Uh, The London Parliament did put their king to death in 1649, exactly as the index date indicated. So those sort of clues helped me towards um, a belief that actually the index dates were relevant and that um, I could look at a maximum of seven possible years from the 1500s to the 2100s. And uh, dependent on the index date, I would then be rigorous in trying to match two or three facts of the particular fact happening to that index date and that that would be my discipline. And it, it changed everything uh, when I discovered that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you do write with an air of authority, uh, and that's one thing that comes across uh, in your in your book, Mario. It, it's it's got a mixture for those wanting. This is a mixture of 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 scholarship and and uh, readability. I mean, you you do approach this not like the newspaper horoscopes, but you but you approach it as a scholar and. And I think it's a very creative approach. Now, for those who do not know, what is an index date in, in terms of Nostradamus?
1: Well, it's simply, let's take um, uh, his first century, um, its index dated 1 to 100. Each of the quatrains has an index date, 1, 2, 3, 4. They appear to be at random. Right. My feeling was that they were not random, that they were Nostradamus was a very specific sort of person and that they had some significance. And therefore, let's say I took um, uh, the index date of the first century number five, I would look at 1505, 1605, 1705, 1805, 2105, And I would uh, uh, see that index date, follow that year, and see if there was any uh, happening between the two. And if there was, which I found in about 800 out of nearly a thousand index dates, then I would follow that through, and it was an it was an eye opener. It completely changed everything.
0: I see. So, by so do you mean by index date the way they are arranged in the index of his of his uh, work?
1: Yes, the way they are arranged in the books as they came out. Okay. Each one was specifically dated within one century. It had one index date. It was century one or five or six or seven. Index dated, let's say, 52, 55, It's the way you find his prophecies. You say century six, index date number thirty. That takes you to a specific property, um, uh,
0: um, quadrant. Well, well, let, you know, just like people in the the present day who write under a a pen name, uh, like I've been known to do. Uh, in in his day, which of course um, is also the era of much more s- stringent control by the by the church, was was he trying to disguise his prophecies, or 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 um, how how can I put this? Code them in a way so that he would not be uh, labeled as some kind of competitor to the to the Bible? I mean, was there something? Was there a method to this coding that he used, or this indexing that he used?
1: Yes, he was cautious, but by 1555, when he brought his prophecies out, he was sufficiently well known not to have to worry. He was a high magician, not a low magician. I see. And not only that, he benefited from the protection of the Queen, Catherine de' Medici, because he had helped the Queen um, in terms of a husband at some particular point and the Queen became his benefactor. And to some extent that protected him from the Inquisition. But he was also very, very cautious not to alienate the Church. He never stated, for instance, that he was a prophet. He said that he was a scryer. Um, Some people called him a seer, but he wasn't a prophet. He didn't put himself up as having a direct line to God, Um, even though he was technically a Catholic, even though having been brought up, Technically, a Jew, um, his family converted to Catholicism uh, because of the discrimination that occurred at the time. Um, so, yes, to some extent, he codified it, but to a large extent, he didn't need to.
0: Yeah, that, that is uh, a interesting aspect um, of his career, and that comes across. You know, that came across in, in my. In my research as well, I guess it does help to personally what did he help heal the queen's uh, daughter i forget I forget exactly what what he did for her, but but he was also in the in the medical arts at the time uh, he, right? was, yes. yeah. he
1: was yes he was he was a plague doctor oh. um, unfortunately, um, he was a very famous plague doctor. He invented a, a rose pill um, that was meant to to um, protect people from the plague. Unfortunately, uh, to Nostradamus' horror, in Aja, there was an outbreak of the plague, and it killed his first wife and his two children. He was thereupon sued for the return of the diary of his wife um, by her outraged parents, who felt that how could he be much of a plague doctor if he couldn't protect his own family.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Uh, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Mario Reading, the author of the new book, Nostradamus, The Complete Prophecies for the Future, and we're starting to get into uh, the life and time of Nostradamus, but also what his quatrains, his sayings are, are telling us about the present. Now, you you indicated that he did not think he was a prophet, and I and I've and I've read that elsewhere. On the other hand, he called his book the Prophecies. So, so was he more like a median, or wh- how did he characterize himself then?
1: That's very nicely put, Philip. Actually, yes, in a way, he was a medium. Um, he he explains very clearly how he went about his let's call it scrying. Um, He had a copper bowl, which he would fill with water. He would then fill that with ink so that it was very, very dark, ink-stained water. He would take um, uh, 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 certain substances, which would maybe open up his mind a little bit. Um, He would then look into the water very, very concentratedly. And it was at that point that rather like a gap in the curtain, he felt that God occasionally just opened a little gap so that he could see into the future. He would then call out what he saw in the water to his secretary Jean-Aim who would write it down immediately and that was as far as he went in the prophesying um, uh, line. He was a medium, if you like, yes.
0: Yeah, it, you know, in today's day and age, uh, you know, mediumship, uh, at least from my perspective of things, is gaining more of a foothold and maybe it's just because on this show, I tend to have uh, open-minded people. I tend to try—you know, you know, we try to go beyond science and religion, as the title suggests. But I have spoken to quite a lot of people on this show who uh, I think are really medians. And so the fact that uh, maybe Nostradamus uh, was an early-day medium uh, explains a lot here because, you know, one of the things— Mary, and I don't know if, if, if you go this direction but one of the things that, that I try to do that I think that is um, sort of gradually happening out there uh, in the intellectual sphere is that people are trying to find a basis for the truth of mediumship you know, how is it possible is it just one of those you know, magical things that some people have or is it telling us something about the world that we live in and, and I guess, uh, you know, you've studied this for a good part of your life. I mean, why do you think, I mean, uh, Nostradamus, uh, why do you think his predictions work? Assume, I mean, it's wh- a
1: very difficult question, and I agree with you about mediumship. But I think it is coming to the fore. Um, I mean, I, I, being very ill, I go the conventional route, but I also, for instance, would use a medium or a shaman. Um, um, Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right, but I'm certainly open to it. Um, I think Nostradamus, something happened to him when he lost his first wife and his two children. And sometimes we hear um, there's there's an extraordinary time in any real medium's life in which they become aware of their powers and i think that that's what happened to nostradamus then he became someone other um uh and so i think that yes uh, uh that was a crucial period he started traveling after that he walked around europe and he became a different person when he came back he was this other person this yeah. person who was able to see things
0: yeah well the there is a lot of um you know discussion uh, about like for example ed uh edgar casey uh, yes. is is another example which i'm gonna which i'm gonna ask you about in a second here but in your in your book nostradamus um the complete prophecies for the future you have a section on um the collective unconsciousness and you even mentioned carl Jung, um and i thought that was amazing uh that you connected these two and maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about this And i'm looking this is quatrain 246 and it the subject is called collective unconscious and how how did you uh go from his his uh prophecy here and i'm just going to read it because it's short it says following one great human tragedy a greater lies in wait the mighty movement of the century of the centuries brings renewal rain blood milk famine sword, and the plague fire will be seen in the sky with a trail of sparks now it's pretty it's pretty uh, gripping there but your 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 subject is collective unconscious how do you go from that quatrain to the subject of collective unconscious
1: I think through the renewal process I, I think see. it's all about renewal I see. and if you like jung who i i admire enormously uh believed that um, humankind could renew itself if it started understanding that it was all connected right that we were all united right that we could work together in a great uh um, mass that was more than some of its parts i think he believed that fundamentally and this quatrain to me seemed to suggest that it was this was possible
0: yeah well I I, I read it in two ways uh, and that was one of them was that as you're saying that this renewal I mean it, it'd be nice if there was renewal if there was sort of a refreshing of consciousness over time but also that in my opinion uh, and this is just my opinion that the reason why medianship works for some people is because they're because they dip into the collective unconsciousness and they're reading something that is of the whole and this i'm not the first person ever to say that i I think that that is that's really to me the underlying reason why some of these prophecies predictions work uh, and and so I read it in both ways i I read it to say that Nostradamus was tapping into the collective unconsciousness, he was re- reading something that was there uh, because because it there it's sort of like the seed of the future, if you will so I, um, I
1: think you're absolutely right I, I agree completely with all you say there.
0: Yeah. I think
1: he was dipping into the collective unconscious, uh, and I think he was aware of that. he just didn't use that term.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I'm not sure when, I mean, who were the first person to do that was, I mean, it wasn't Carl Jung, I'm sure. I'm sure we can go back and find the uh, the early Indian philosophers uh thinkers going in that direction. But, Sufism, but uh, yeah, uh, just right. as an example. Right, right. But part of the reason for doing this, for going this direction, Mariel, is because I think it is important to the extent we can to legitimize these these uh sort of out of mainstream thinkers uh, and, the, and just like you said in the beginning you know you if you approach things with an open mind if you don't dismiss it out of hand but actually give it some thought it could be that there is truth in in this just like if i might add just like maybe there's truth that uh maybe god really did recite the Koran to Muhammad maybe the biblical authors were really inspired by God maybe Einstein really did have an epiphany about the general theory of relativity I mean there's so many similarities across both spirituality and science that it. to me it's healthier to to keep that open mind because you never know um, where things might lead um, some
1: of yeah, some of us have no choice but to keep that open mind. I mean, I mentioned to you before that I had a terminal cancer diagnosis back in 1992. During that period, when I was about a month off of death, I had a, what I would call a direct experience of God. Um, it was direct and overwhelming. I could not deny it. And from that moment onwards, everything seemed very simple to me. Yeah, that everything is God and God is everything. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Um. And for me to then close down after that would have been an impossibility. It couldn't happen.
0: Yeah. And th- those are the kinds of experiences that change people. And frankly, I think fifty percent of the people I speak to on this show have had such experiences. And that's and not everybody needs them. I think to to um, wonder about the divine and about sure. the the role of spirit, but once you have one, uh, you can't go back. And that's one way to look at it. Once you once you have that sense, you can't go back. Now, there is there is undoubtedly a, a a connection between the Bible and Nostradamus. And to what degree, in your research, did the biblical prophecies influence Nostradamus?
1: Enormously. He was a great reader of the Bible. He considered himself a Catholic. Um, he obviously was also versed in the Kabbalah, uh, uh, the Talmud, and whatever, um, through his Jewish chain of uh, reference. Um, but I think he was enormously influenced by the Bible, as was everyone yeah. at that point. Yes. Uh, uh, all the symbolism, or the vast majority of the symbolism that comes through in Nostradamus is biblical symbolism. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So yes, uh, it would it would have been profound.
0: Yeah. The one of the things though that I that um, one of my problems with uh, almost more so with Nostradamus and uh, than the Bible, although both of them, I would have the same um, complaint is that there's awful there's an awful lot of doom and gloom um, in in Nostradamus, just like there is in the Bible. I mean, if you add up the number of terrible events that he predicted to occur i mean in your book you have asteroids famine global warming warfare the antichrist christ uh, locust plagues i mean it doesn't this provide a very negative view of things or is this just what he thought was true i mean what is what is your sense of it
1: well, my publisher actually asked me at one point, he said, Look, is this all doom and gloom? And I said, yeah. No, there are some. There are some yeah. very positive quatrains. And yeah. he said, Well, come on, write me a book about them. Yeah. And so I actually wrote a book called Nostradamus, The Good News.
0: Oh, that's OK. OK. So
1: I really did address this, Philip, I promise. <laughs> OK. OK, this is so Philip. Is a, OK. Yeah. There's, there's a, Maybe a tenth of his quatrains are good news quatrains. Yeah. Uh, he honestly believed, if you like, that um, I think that he was teaching us or he was offering the world the possibility of not following historical precedent.
0: Yeah. In other
1: words, that his prophecies weren't definitely going to happen. They could be changed, but that we would need to act to change them. So I think to that extent, he wasn't all doom and gloom.
0: No, no. Yeah. Uh, yes, well, I think the whole doom and gloom thing um, is is important. Um, This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Mariel Reading, the author of Nostradamus, The Complete Prophecies for the Future, and one of the world's leading experts on on interpreting Nostradamus for our current world. Now, the reason why I just was talking about doom and gloom, uh, there's a couple things that come to mind here, which is, first of all, the media and the public seems like they love doom and gloom. I mean, I've uh, I've had one guest on the show, Gregory Lavoy, who told me not only uh, does this, the old saying "if it bleeds, it leads," but he's got this other this other saying that if it scares, it airs. Um, so when you watch TV, particularly when they get into topics of the paranormal, parapsychology, um, etc., it's always about some typically it's about some ghost that's gonna you know scare the bejesus out of you or some kind of catastrophe that's gonna occur so it's it's hard so a lot of it to me is just it's sort of uh is in demand by the public or like it sells more uh but along those lines one of the things that struck me is that i'm not sure if nostradamus um understood at that time that once you get past world war ii and once you once you start talking about a world war 3 you're basically nearing you know planet annihilation so it's it, so it's not as if there's going to be world war 4 and 5 i mean world war 3 may be you know if if somebody starts using nuclear weapons then I mean, is, isn't that a problem i mean i I, mean, I guess where i'm going with this is that wars today are different than they were back in his in in his era
1: Well, he writes about a global war in 2070. Um, There are a a great number of prophecies about it. And the world seems to survive it. There's a sort of phoenix period after the global war in 2075, when um, he writes about the cry of an extraordinary bird will be heard, cannoning through the air shafts. Um, This phoenix will rise again. So the third world war is not the end of the earth. In fact, Nostradamus, as far as I can read, um, predicts the end of the earth as coming round about seventy-seven thousand and seventy-four. So a long, a long time hence. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the third world war is not a pretty one. No, there's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah. Well, I just wanted to raise that as one of the, the sort of differences in pers- in looking at things, in our modern viewfinder versus the way they were 500 years ago. Obviously, um, to be a prophet, you know, somebody is expecting you or a seer. It's expecting you to see through that crystal ball. But um, it's hard to, I, I think it's really hard to imagine that somebody back in his day and including people like Leonardo da Vinci, you know, could actually predict all the things that modern technology has brought us. It's it's you know it's just one of those uh, topics that I think uh, makes this whole area so interesting. Now, with reg- I mentioned Ed- Edward- Edgar Casey for a second, and before I ask you about a couple specific quatrains here, where where does have, have you also researched Edgar Casey? I mean, where does he fit into the whole, this whole line of of prophets?
1: I have, but I'm no expert, I'm afraid. Oh, I, see, so I, I certainly yeah. view him as a prophet, yeah. but um, I don't know enough about him that I yeah. can actually stand hand on heart yeah. and say that I can really place him in any in any uh, yeah.
0: great
1: line of prophets.
0: Yeah. Well, well, considering that you came from the from the um, area where Nostradamus was. Was born and raised. I, I could see you having a much, a much greater connection to him. Now, there's a couple um, quatrains that you interpret here that I thought were really creative, and, and one of them that, that's got my attention was uh, this quatrain 644. You talk about chemical warfare, and the the actual quatrain says a rainbow will appear by night near. Nantes, Nantes, seafaring men will call up artificial rain. A great fleet will be fused into the Arabian Gulf. In Saxony, a monster will be born of a bear and a sow. And you call this chemical warfare. How how did you get chemical warfare out of that quatrain? The artificial rain?
1: It was the miscegenation, really. A monster born of a bear and a sow. This idea of miscegenation... To me, to some extent, um, I suddenly had a vivid image of uh, the disastrous um, hybrids that would come from any extreme chemical warfare, and that came to mind, and that, I think, gave me the original idea for the prediction.
0: Yeah. You know, as I was reading that, and and a number of other ones, and, and this may... I don't I don't think this is an unfair question but it's but what struck me was to what degree are you interpreting Nostradamus and to what degree are you sort of building upon what he said in other words how much is is it is some of your book really sort of you sort of putting your 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 shoes into or your feet into Nostradamus' shoes and, and trying to update what he was saying?
1: Some of my book is inevitably me. It has right. to be. I can't right. deny that. Right. Um, all I can claim is that what I do from the beginning is to try and translate him correctly. In other words, so that the translation from the Old French is as accurate as possible. Right. Once I've done that, people can then make a decision themselves. They can look at the translation and say, no, I don't agree with Mr. Redding, I I believe this and this and this. I will then give my commentary, which I make quite clear is my commentary on the translation, and then I will give a summary of the commentary. So yes, it's a great deal of me, but I allow Nostradamus, I hope, to come through sufficiently so that it's a sort of dual effort. But inevitably, any book uh, written by a commentator about Nostradamus is going to have Um, uh, is going to be limited by what that commentator understands. My capacities are opened up obviously by the internet, by books, by the reference books that I have so that I can see a great deal further than I would naturally be able to see without all those um, helps and aids. But yes there's a great deal of me in there, there's no doubt about it.
0: Well one of the things that I still haven't figured out myself is that whether the staying power of a book, classic example being the Bible, whether the staying power of a, of, of a book like that says something about its deep truth, or whether it's something that people just want to be true. You know, they prefer it to be true, and so they don't give it up. You know, I like to tend towards the the, the initial interpretation, which is, and this is this is one reason why, I don't agree with modern day scientists who, who believe that uh, the Bible, and you know not just scientists but atheists and many other people who believe that the Bible is simply a myth, a, you know not a, a fictional account of, of something. I, I think there is truth in the Bible, just like I want to believe that there's truth in Nostradamus because it 's has such staying power, it 's resonating with something in us. Uh, and I'm just wondering how, how you feel about that. I mean, obviously, you think there's truth in Nostradamus' sayings, right?
1: Well, it is what it is. Yeah. And what That's... it is, is the the one book on Earth that has sold uh, uh, nearly as many copies as the Bible.
0: Yeah,
1: And that is an extraordinary thing. Yeah. No one else comes near. Yeah. I mean, in Nostradamus' time, for instance, there were 30,000 seers, astrologers, uh, prophets, God knows what, working in france alone and he floated at the top of that very very large heap um there has to be something behind it um what it is then i'm not sure but there is definitely something behind it
0: well it's sort of like you know the way you approached it uh was sort of like there's this there's this mystery uh saying or or poem or story and there's truth here and it's it's up to us to unwrap it, it's to understand it, and to and to see whether it's telling us something about our day and age. I mean, you approach it to me like a like a mystery story. That's the way that's, I I. That's it.
1: exactly how I read him. Right. Yes. Right. It's and like a mystery story. It's almost like Sherlock Holmes. Yes. yes
0: yeah, and and it's it's so much better when if there's some if there's truth to it. Be, because it means that we're unlocking a secret to our world. I mean, I I compare a lot of this to to the scientific inquiry all the time because I do think that there's an overlap in in science's inquiry into the secrets of nature and the spiritualist investigation into the secrets of consciousness or God or the mind. I mean, it's it's very very similar. It's just the perhaps sometimes the methods Of investigation are different Uh, the um, on that note uh, I I was happy (laughs) to see you talking about um, this global global transformation there's a quote in your in your book that caught my attention which which is global catastrophe as the essential trigger for fundamental spiritual change And this is a topic that I have thought a lot about. Yeah, okay, your actual quote is summary. Some see global catastrophe as the essential trigger needed for fundamental spiritual change, while others fear the onslaught of uncertainty. And, you know, this, this goes on the opposite of the doom and gloom side, because Lord knows we need a spiritual change. And we could call it whatever we want. We, we could call it um, people being nicer to, to each other. Or we could call it uh, some kind of grandiose rising consciousness or something like that. But where are you on this global catastrophe for spiritual change? I mean, how does that topic come up in Nostradamus? Where does that fit into this?
1: I think what, what I mentioned earlier was that I think he believed... That we could look back on history, learn its lessons, and then change our way of being, Hmm. which is, if you like, spiritual change. I mean, he would have considered spiritual change to be aligned with the Bible and with Catholicism or whatever. Um, But you can view it from any direction. Um, He certainly believed that we had that capacity. If only someone gave us the warning, we could change what was going to
0: occur. You know th- that raises this question which I which I've read elsewhere and I'm also going to make another comparison to science here about whether the 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 prophets and I'm calling um Nostradamus a prophet for the sake of simplicity here whether the prophets are are basically saying that we have the ability to change the future. And and that 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 unless we do something, the future that we're going to be going south. You know that things are going to be chaotic. That we're going to you know blow up the world unless unless we do something, uh, or whether the future is determined. Right, this is that whole determinism debate here. Whether you know there's nothing we can do. The dice are going to come up, uh, you know snake eyes, and we're and we're going to lose or whether we have the chance to change the future. Where do you come down on that?
1: Well, my instinct is that Nostradamus came down on the fact that you could change the future. That was the whole point. He was there to warn us of what might happen unless we did something about it. I absolutely believe that. I don't think that the future is set in stone. Uh, I think we, we need to change our behavior uh, radically. Um, uh, or we are doomed um, with with, a, with absolute certainty because humankind, for some reason, tends towards the horrific. He tends towards uh, the angry. He tends towards the violent because that is the easiest way to do things. Um, if you go out and force your neighbor into doing something, it's dead easy. You've won. But if you go out and deal with him and deal with her, that's a very, very different way. Yeah, to I mean,
0: of. yeah, I think that, I think that it's... Uh a great topic and it's something everybody should study at some point which is this tension between determinism and free will and it's there's so many books and articles from you know from philosophy to quantum theory to spirituality and maybe at the end of the day it's a function it's a function of belief um i i have a philosophy degree i studied determinism and i I came to a very simple conclusion, which is that um, determinism is not, is not correct because you always have the, the free will to change the, you know, to change the future. If someone tells you you're going to take uh, a fork in the road and go left, you just say, well, no, I'm going to go right. And it's, so, it's, so to me, it's very simple. And, and perhaps at the end of the day, this is the, the split between the optimist and the pessimist. Yeah. You know, you know. The optimist thinks that they could change things. The pessimist gives up. I mean, you yourself, having your terminal illnesses, you must be an optimist, right? I mean, yes, it seems... I, I,
1: by very, by very, very nature, yes. Yeah, but you're... I also have a reason to be an optimist in the sense that I have a, a loving wife and a wonderful granddaughter that we bring up, uh, yeah. a three-year-old. Um, so I have reasons to be optimistic. Maybe if I did not have those. Two people in my life, I might feel very different. Um, it would be much harder to be an optimist. I would still hope that I would be, however.
0: Yeah, well, I think that that is really where where it all begins. It all begins with your own attitude, and there's so many books and studies and writings on that topic that that's it's it's a, it's an extremely rich topic. Okay, now let's let's get a little bit specific here about about your book. I of all the of all the the quatrains of Nostradamus are, are are there some that stick out to you as particularly compelling for our current day and age
1: well i think that uh what can i say there's a number of ecological disasters uh, just down the road at the moment 2016 2017 very clearly delineated in in this book Um, That worries me slightly. We've seen enough disasters occurring um, uh, not to realize that that uh, it's a very, very simple process to have some more. Um, Scandals in the Roman Catholic Church that's coming. Nostradamus was most interested in that. But certainly Islamic terrorism, I'm afraid, as we all know, uh, that is one of the biggest problems on Earth at the moment. And Nostradamus deals with it in detail in the next few years yes
0: yeah how about okay here comes an unfair question um how about um in the presidential election in the u.s i mean i know i know you're you're in the uk now but i see that um i mean this this has got to be really difficult but is there anything that nostradamus tells us about the presidential election coming up
1: well yes there is and i wrote this quatrain back in 2005 so i hold up my hand and say really you know i haven't suddenly changed it there's a hillary clinton quatrain at least i believed it was a hillary clinton quatrain index dated 15 dated 2015 which talk, talks about the masculine woman who would exert herself to the north she would annoy nearly all of europe and the rest of the world two failures will put her in such an imbalance that both life and death will strengthen eastern europe And I read this as the masculine woman being not a woman who has masculine characteristics, but a woman who uh, uh, takes a position that is usually held by a man, i.e. the presidency of the United States. Um, And if she becomes the first ever female president of the United States, I posited back in 2006 when the book first came out, the first edition, um, there will be major problems in the East. Of Europe, uh, and that she may well cause uh, some anguish along those lines. Yes, so yes, very, very much about the presidency. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that that I think that is I think that's really, uh, really good. And you know, for those who are familiar with Nostradamus, and in fact, this is probably all of these older classic prophecies. I mean, Nostradamus never said you know the Cubs are going to win the World Series no. in, in you know in 2023. <laughs> um and and i th- and frankly i think that the style in which you described he did his predictions uh which is sort of a medium chip like method sort of to me gives it more authenticity because he he was you know using this 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 method of of trying to look into A reservoir of information that is seldom tapped, you know this this spiritual guide that is inside of us or out or yeah inside of us somewhere another dimension, and sort of reading the tea leaves so to speak, and I think it's amazing, uh, Mario, that you are able to get so much out of out of Nostradamus and if, and I and I think you know your book is it's rare it's very good reading and it is I think uh you know a couple a couple levels above a lot of the books in this area because it is so methodical um so I want I wanted to mention that to the listener now you you mention that 2062 looks like it's going to be a really bad year from all indications what is it about twenty sixty two that that got Nostradamus' attention here.
1: There appears to be a worldwide epidemic. That's yeah. the one I can see. It's the famous Mabus or Mabus quatrain. Um, that many people have tried to work out who this Mabus was. Was he a uh, Megabizers, Inababus, Thurbo Majors, God knows what? <laughs> I mean, even the former governor of Mississippi was brought in who happened to be called Raymond Mabers. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, a Poor man he had absolutely nothing to do with it yeah um, it it to me it looks like that there's a worldwide epidemic, and it could easily be uh something along the lines of bird flu or whatever I, I certainly can't foresee what it could be, but uh, yes, that doesn't sound too good a too good a year
0: yeah, yeah well, hopefully there'll be hopefully I'll be around then um and I certainly won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never. Well, you never know. You never know. I mean, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I always say, you never say never. I mean, there's, it's it's uh, all this timeless. I mean, I was I was in preparing for for the show. I, I was listening to part of the show, uh, the history. I think it was the History Channel, the Nostradamus show, and this whole notion about timelessness and and. Um, these prophets they view things as happening all at once and it's just a matter of tapping into it and so anyways it, it makes it makes um it makes this area fascinating to think that it's that to, th- to believe that there is truth here and that is what makes to me makes this so interesting uh and stimulating now if if there was something that you were going to you know tell uh the listeners about your research in the Nostradamus and and how how they might want to view somebody like him. I mean what what takeaway would you give a listener or a reader on, on how to view this? What, what 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 is here for us?
1: I think I would go for the strongest reiteration that Nostradamus honestly believed that you could learn from uh, history, that you could actually change the future if you really wanted to, that the future was not set in stone, that it was changeable with goodwill from all people. That's what I take from the reading of Nostradamus, that he was basically a fundamentally decent man who honestly thought that humankind could change.
0: Well, that to me, Mario, is one of the my deepest beliefs about about predictions in the future and the way we view things is that you know it I don't care and I have an article I published on on this in a uh, quest magazine that's similar similar point I made in that article which is that even you know the great creative people throughout time could only work within their current worldview they were viewing things from a perspective that in many ways had to be limited. Their language was limited. Uh, even if you say, well, this person had access to the divine mind. Well, I think that the divine mind also evolves and changes. You know, that, that's just my opinion. But but the the point is, is that it's sort of like you're reading a tea leaf. You're doing the best you can. You're conveying a message, and and I think it it's very very sort of uplifting that the message that you're reading from Nostradamus is one of hope is one of empowerment and and we we do have the future in our hands uh there's nobody else that's going to change it for us uh obviously enough of his predictions have seemed to have come true or been close enough and even if even if you dismiss all of them there is no doubt that humankind has not done the greatest job in either dealing with the uh, environment, with each other, other countries, uh, the weather, (laughs) catastrophes. (laughs) I mean, mean, we haven't exactly uh, been model citizens uh, in in terms of a spiritual uh, viewpoint. So, So, if Nostradamus and his prophecies can sort of empower us to take better control of the future then i think that there's a lot of value there so i um so now we have quickly come to the end and um how about you just telling a little bit more about what you're doing i mean you have so many so many very interesting publications uh mario and as i said your your uh your books have sold very very well what what do you want to leave uh listener with, with, with regard to how to find out more about your work?
1: Well, I'm writing novels at the moment, and I'm enjoying doing that, and I would call them metaphysical thrillers, <laughs> although the publisher would run a mile, I think, um, <laughs> I to, to publicize them along those lines. Yeah. So they make them look like Dan Brown Da Vinci Code books, but they aren't. Um, they're books that basically aim not only to tell a good story, but also to... To take a moral stance, if you like, um, and I hope good wins out over evil in my books by and large, because um, that's the way I am. I want good to win out over evil. So yes, that's that's all I'd like.
0: Yeah, and so your your website, I believe, was marioreading dot com. Is that correct?
1: That's the website. You can also go on my Facebook site. I think it's Mario Reading Writer. Um, I think you can find a lot of stuff there. Um, or just go on the on the web, and I think you you type type in my name, and there'll be all sorts of junk. You'll have to sift through it and find the good stuff. Yeah.
0: Which well, I you- well, I again, I want I want to close here by just saying that I think Mario Reading has done a, a service to taking taking on Nostradamus uh, and and his quatrains, his predictions, and giving them a fresh new reading. Um, he you 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 know you clearly have the the qualifications and the upbringing to to give a fresh look at this and i think the message at the end of the day as i said earlier is that uh that the future um is within our control and the, then the sooner we understand that and take action to conform it uh and form it into a better um a better light to make to uh, start putting some of these principles into action the better for all of us and perhaps we could avoid some of the doom and gloom Uh, this is philip Camella. this is conversations beyond science and religion join me next week when i'll have uh, kinsley dennis on the show we will be talking about his his uh, new his new book regarding the up the um, the rising of the phoenix we'll see you next week thanks for listening been listening to conversations beyond science and religion hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip
1: and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.